Carl, thanks so much for your time. So obviously, you know, with coronavirus, I was curious, first off, how are you and your family are doing? And without sports, how have you been kind of spending your time? Well, I appreciate you asking. Everybody here, knock on wood, is doing uh, pretty well with the four 20-year-olds uh, that are living with us. That whole life with me. One is uh, working out in California where the state shut down. He came to live with us for a while. We have two college students and a girlfriend who are all with us. It's my wife, me, and the dog. So we're, we're full house. We're, the, we're staying busy. We're doing actually some sports centers uh, two or three times a week. And, um, you know, there are reports that ESPN is looking into the Korean baseball organization until eventually baseball comes back. So there's a chance that we end up doing some uh, games from the KBO over the next, uh, you know, week to a month, depending on what happens with Major League Baseball. So we're staying busy. We're doing things like this. We're doing radio appearances and other things. Yeah, I actually saw that earlier today about the Korean Baseball League. So, would you have a specific, would you be calling any of their games, or would you just be kind of helping as far as, uh, like, baseball tonight, or... No, I think we would, I think we would do the games. I think there's about be five or six games, uh, one a day. So, I'm, without really knowing, I'm guessing that between myself and John Chompy, uh, we would probably do those. They're on an odd time. They're 13 hours, their games start at 7... 6.30 at night, and we're starting at 5.30 in the morning here on the East Coast, and I think their weekend games start even earlier, mm. uh, 4 a.m. So it would be different people would wake up and be able to turn on live baseball. And my guess is it would be one of those things that I've seen happen before where people would all of a sudden become kind of fascinated by the whole thing. It's something different. They're a mascot, they're players, and they backflip, and they do a lot of things with a little more flair than what we're used to here. It's a, more of a contact um, and I just think people are starved for it, and it's an easy way to wake up, whether you're a baseball fan, or your kids are, or you're missing Little League, whatever you might be otherwise doing, gather around the television and watch a live sporting event. Have you been over to Korea before, or done any... I've, not, I've never been over to Korea, no, I have not. Um, I will say, though, that having done Little League in the last uh, 15 years, I certainly think a bunch of uh, the Korean kids, and their, their personalities, their coaches... Uh, and certainly recently they've been the dominant international team for a long time. It was uh, Taiwan, Pan, and then it sort of now become the South Korean kids that have been so good recently. So I've, I've seen it. They're, they're a very fun group. You know, if you think WBC and all the celebrations and noise and stand, obviously now we won't have anybody in the stand, but it's a, it's a real, um, engaging, energetic, fun, vibrant group. I think it'd be interesting if they were able to show that. It makes sense. I kind of thought the same before. I kind of figured it would make sense if they were able to show that. So, as you mentioned, something to kind of turn on and, and be able to watch a little bit. Can you kind of just talk about how you got started in, in this business, particularly working, you know, with ESPN and baseball tonight? I know you've co covered college basketball. Uh, sure. And, um, you know, it's kind of a long story. I'll try to make it short. It was born out of a knee injury in high school. I had played soccer for my eighth job. Went to meet a guidance counselor. And uh, this really before I had given too much thought to what I was going to do or be interested in in college. Uh, while recovering from that ACL operation, I had a chance to meet with a guidance counselor. He asked me what are some of the things I was interested in. And I said sports. And I said writing. And uh, she said, have you thought about communications? And I really hadn't. But I started writing in the senior uh, year of high school for the local paper covering high school hockey. 
And I just got a kind of a rush of seeing your name in a playline, reading your article in a paper, other people consuming it. Um, it was a big charge for me, and I went to Ithaca College to study communications and broadcast journalism. Uh, four years later, after working on a variety of uh, programs within the college, yeah, doing just about everything you could do on a television production, running cables to running expert or running audio, um, to hosting shows and calling play-by-play. Got a job at Binghamton, New York. Stayed there for a few years as a weekend sports anchor. When the regular weekday guy left, I figured I would move into that slot, and the news director had other ideas and hired somebody younger uh, than me, so that was a slap in the face, reality of the business, very subjective. Um, hung around there and got a job at Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, stayed there for three years. Knew that the weekday guy was never going to leave, and the truth is, uh, up until recently when he passed away from cancer, he hadn't left. I mean, he'd been there for 25 more years, so that was an accurate reading. And got real much when I got to ESPN. I, I tried out, I finished second. The person who finished first during the auditions couldn't take the job because he was committed contractually. Uh, elsewhere, and it turns out that the guy that couldn't take the job ended up working for ESPN. His name was Dan Schulman. I'm sure you've heard of him. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I got the job on SportsCenter because he couldn't leave. And that's, that's sort of the, uh, that's the, that's the abridged version of how I got to where I'm at. And then once I'm there, there's a variety of things that I would say, um, for the purposes of, of today and doing Play-by-play of Little League World Series, College World Series, Major League Baseball, SEC Basketball, SEC Championship. All those things came, really, as a result of the studio stuff um, becoming, you know, less and less, uh, I don't even want to say relevant, but in our company, we we sort of downplayed or downgraded, you know, Baseball Tonight as a twice-a-night daily show to now... Sunday night, and I looked around and said, "Well, if it's only going to be one night a week, I got to, I got to try to make myself valuable to the company in any other way I can." I was doing some play-by-play, but it certainly uh, mushroomed into something great, and I give the company a great deal of credit for being willing to have me do those things and for accepting me and thinking that I'm doing a good job. You mentioned the uh, calling games, doing play-by-play, and of course you do studio works such as on baseball tonight so i was just kind of curious i'm sure they each have their own challenges but are there certain aspects of doing play-by-play versus being in a studio that you might like more than the other at times or are they both unique and something that you enjoy doing it does i think William, i think the um i think the the aspects of working early in my career in a studio first hosting sports center for so long and then working on baseball tonight uh since 1995 you know, I, I really worked with analysts for most of my career at ESPN, meaning it wasn't just me and another anchor, it was me and an analyst. And I think that that was a, an enormous advantage for me going into the play-by-play group to have become very comfortable with working with others, uh, working with analysts, uh, asking them questions, listening more importantly to what they were saying and how to follow up. So I think the, I think the, foundation of the studio uh, host with analysts really lent itself to being um, really good at at talking with and probing your analysts 
doing the play by play. And uh, I've kind of been a conversationalist um, as far as play by play goes. I think that there are real black and white X and O play by play guys who uh, don't often engage with their analysts. I think there are people who are on the other end of that. Uh, who are more like I am, conversational, engage with the analysts, don't worry about, uh, you know, here comes the pit, I need to talk now. I've, I've never been that way. I don't think that's how people personally watch TV. I, I've tried to take what once was the sports center mentality of, hey, that's a guy, that's a woman, I, I'd like to just kind of sit and watch game with, uh, you know, have a hot dog and drink a beer with into the booth as a play-by-play guy where it's not so serious and it's not calling game seven of a particular series. You know, it's, it's something that people come to to enjoy. The way I look at play-by-play people is generally, we're, we're, we're sort of the main course. The game itself is the main course. What we can do is make the main course taste a little bit better. But generally, we're not going to cause people to tune away. We shouldn't be that bad. And we're not really going to cause a whole lot of people to tune in. But we can make that make that meal taste a little bit better by how we, you know, how we add to it and what we get out of our animals. That's how I look at play-by-play people. Probably not the way to selling point for play-by-play people. It's better if we're good at it as opposed to... Oh my god, I can't watch that game because Carl Ravage isn't doing it, or I'm not going to watch that game because Carl Ravage is doing it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does make sense. And that kind of leads into my next question. So I was curious what it's like working around some of the other personalities, like whether it's Tim Kirchin, Buster Oni, Mark Teixeira, just some of the nuances or the little things that they might mention or or speak to that you may you might be thinking, wow, I would have never seen that or or even thought about that. Yeah, I think I think there's there's a distinction between what each of them add. Um, you know, in over 25 years, I've sat next to either on baseball tonight or in a booth over 70 different animals. Um, it's hard to believe, but we we have often found ourselves writing down names of people who have come and gone as analysts. And I'll be honest with you, um, you know, they all add their own sort of take on the game, uh, especially ex-players, um, very different than Tim uh, or Buster or Jeff Passon. They, they generally are storytellers. Um, you know, if somebody does something in a game, let's just say we're watching a, we're watching a Yankee game now and Gary Sanchez does something. Well, Tim may say, you know, I remember when Mike Piazza, I remember when Carlton just did that or... Jorge Posada never did that, but I remember when Jorge Posada did this, and he would tell a story. He would sit with the Teixeira, uh, and Aaron Boone, uh, Mike McFarlane, who was a catcher a long time ago for the Kansas City Royals, you know, Bobby Valentine, Paul Chilwalter, Dusty Baker. They, they all have their own sort of unique perspectives on it. Um, I, was, I, I would imagine that, you know, if I were to, Alice Porter was great at seeing things that that others did, and maybe Buck Showalter is the most interesting guy to sit next to uh, in the course of a of a full hour evening when we're watching so many games. He would he would pick up things and say things that that you literally would say to yourself. I, I never thought of that. I would never have even 
looked at that, but he'd observed, he'd observed pictures and uh, whether they were stocky or tall. Uh, he would talk about uh, literally guys who wear a hat a particular way. He would ask questions. Why do you think, you know, he, he, he ran the bases the way he did? Why do you think the shortstop was playing two steps to the left instead of two steps to the right? And he generally would, would wonder it, but he would also have an answer. I'll tell you why he was doing that, because this guy, um, prior to analytics, this guy tends to, on a breaking ball, hit the ball in the hole at shortstop. And this guy, on a breaking ball, tends to hit the ball up the middle. So he was aware of the little intricacies of the game, and I think he was one of those that, that you thought about as like, wow, I, I'm learning something. And I think the most valuable thing, you know, that the analyst can provide the viewer is to teach them something, to shine a flashlight into a corner of the play that they necessarily wouldn't have done. And a lot of that comes from Sports Center too, Wayne. I, mean, I, I know that, you know, Sports Center highlights, you tend to show the three-run home run. I remember on Baseball Tonight, our goal wasn't always to focus on the thriller homework, but what the heck led to the 2009 base before that? We had time to expand on that, and we try to do that, you know, in the games that we do. It's not just the slam dunk, it's what led up to the slam dunk. And I think the viewers of the SPN traditionally, um, you know, are a little deep and just your average, here's the sports center, the Super Bowl, I'm going to watch it. They, they, have, they have a better understanding, they want to be told, you know, not only the X's and the O's, they want the X's, the Y's, the Z's, and the O's. Yeah, that's very insightful. Not to put you on the spot, but I was curious too. Uh, are there any specific coworkers or personalities, I guess, that I guess that you're closer with than others? Or I guess, are you all kind of like, fr- I, you all seem like friends on set. So I, I, I wondered if you're all like very friendly, kind of hang out or talk a lot off set. Um, well, you know, I, I just, I don't, I don't do as many sports centers as I once did. Um, but I will say that uh, that I haven't really been, and I've been there for uh, since '93. So we're we're going on uh, you know, 27 years at one place. Um, I've never I've never walked through a show and said, "Oh, this is going to fall." I don't I don't like or get along with that person. Um, and I really have great relationships. And I've had great relationships with nearly every analyst who's been there. Um, you know, the other day, Barry Larkin reached out to me. He, he was there for a few years. Um, I'm still very close with uh, the guys from uh, recent past. Boom, I speak to all the time. Uh, when I saw Dusty Baker was pretty coming, even in the uncomfortable position of beating the Astros, uh, very accommodating. Um, and I, you know, just, I think that comes from what our goal on our show, Baseball Tonight, has always been. We do get along because we recognize we are way better um, as team than we are individuals. And I would guess that, the, that most of the people who work with me would say about me that I was interested in making the splash, being the headliner. Um, I'm sort of the part of the fabric. I, I want to fit in with these other guys, and, and my goal is to make them feel, you know, more important than than the host. And historically, you know, TV anchors tend to have uh, egos. Movie stars have egos. Athletes have egos. Um, in a sense, it's almost reminding everybody because 
I like to pretend or think that I don't have a huge ego, that look, man, well, we're in this together, and if we're a team, we're going to be way better off. We can't just be about Mark Pistera or Tim Kirchner or Eduardo Perez. We all feed off of each other, and collectively, we're way better than if we were just making this about one person. I don't, I don't particularly want to play on a team where it's superstar driven. I like, I like the solid sort of lunch pail. Let's build this from the bottom and the sum of our parts is, is way greater uh, than just the individual over there who's put up huge numbers. So uh, I, and that's my, that's sort of my take on, on getting along with. And our, I, I always find that I think if you ever surveyed ESPN people who've been there for 20, 30 years um, in the production side of things, which, what's their favorite show to work on? Not their favorite sport of their favorite shows because of the way that the group interacts with each other, baseball for that would be mentioned often, mm-hmm. not more often than the other show. Right. Between college basketball and baseball or maybe any other sport that you've done in the past, do you have a maybe a favorite or are there are they each sports that you just enjoy equally doing and they all you know they all present their own whether challenges or unique uh, attributes, um, any I guess any preference maybe? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I would say my favorite event to cover uh, is the Little League World Series. Mm. Um, and again, we've cultivated just a phenomenal team in in a fairly short period of time, and it's going to would change again if we have a Little League World Series this year. Um, but for those that watch that, that that is the way that I wish every broadcast could be done. We go there and we have a blast with it. We, we don't take it too seriously. Uh, obviously, when you get to the championship weekend, we understand that there's a little more on the line, but these are 12-year-old kids. Uh, the purpose of people watching is to enjoy this event, not to really feel a whole ton of anxiety, not to get nervous, not to worry about a kid that uh, you know has a ball go through his leg and not necessarily to get too excited about a kid that has two home runs. Like, this is a day at the Little League ball, ball fields, and between David Ross and Julie Saudi and Kyle Peterson and anybody involved with that, um, you know, the tone that I've tried to set, so I've been there and now call the championship events, it's, it's just fun. And if you don't want to have fun with it, then you're just not going to get in here. We are, we are about, you know, eating, uh, Eating fried dough and watching Julie Sonic interview people on the hill as much as we are about the 2-2 pitch that was on the corner. Not relevant. Not the most important part of this. Um, and I go there and I, I can't wait every year to get there because this, this isn't work. Are you kidding? Like calling Little League World Series games in front of huge audiences? They're there to watch and have fun. We better be having fun because if we're not, then it's going to, again, change the flavor of that meal. So Little League is, is my favorite. Um, Jimmy Dice has become a really good friend. I've worked for two years with him on SEC basketball. And, and, I, and you know, again, Jimmy Dice three, four, five years ago compared to what he was like this year, it's a whole different personality. He realized that he often says to me, thank you for kind of giving me context and perspective on this stuff. Like, these are college basketball games. It's not... X and O, so people are just sort of blown away like I've got too much. It's like going into a bathroom. 
he, he now has learned to combine his incredible analysis with a quirky, very funny sense of humor. Like, two years ago, we were at Vanderbilt, and they're playing Kentucky, and it is a blowout. But for some reason, all of a sudden, uh, we bring up music, and he just sort of drops, what? I want I want to make a record here. I mean, that, that's where you just call time out on TV and he's like, you made a record here, like you were a singer once, and we, we went down a road that the audio guy in the truck found the song that Jimmy had, uh, had created and played it during the game. That became the entire game. The game was over. The game was secondary, and that was one of the great moments of our college basketball season. Forget, as you see, all over college basketball. And it was, again, because listen to what he said, he was willing to go down that road, laugh at himself. Uh, the director bought into it. The producer said, let's just keep going with it. And the audio guy found the song, found the record. It was as beautiful a night we've ever had. But again, it speaks to, like, this is, this is serious, but it's not too serious. So let's, let's enjoy it. And those are the moments people remember way more than yeah. somebody... You know, making a, a bank shot uh, with three minutes to go on the clock. Way more. I interviewed your son, Sam, a few years ago when he was the uh, broadcaster for the Richmond Flying Squirrels, which is pretty local to me. And I know he's over at ESPN these days, so I was kind of curious what your thoughts were on, on his career so far and just kind of what was on your mind as far as how Sam has been doing. Well, I'm, you know, I'm incredibly proud. I think he's really good at it. Uh, he chose a completely different path than I did. Um, you know, I was local local sports and news for three years. I was local sports for three more years, two more years plus, and then I was Sports Center anchor for you know, for forever before transitioning into play by play. He he went the other road. He was not a studio guy at all. He graduated college and went right into uh, you know the play by play for a double A baseball team and is now doing. Uh, you know, some softball, some volleyball, some baseball, some basketball for uh, different ESPN networks. Uh, so very, very good. You know, incredibly, uh, incredibly quick, incredibly young to be at uh, at ESPN, but a very different uh, path that I took. And um, yeah, and and he's his own. You know, he's his own person. And, and the, the great part is when people come up to me and say, "I got a chance to work with your son. What a nice." More important, what a nice guy he is versus how great he is at it. Um, you can always get better at, at play by play. You can't always change you know, the stripes on on a tiger. So the idea that people are talking about him as a person, that, that's, I'm far more proud of that than I am what he's doing when it comes to calling the basketball game. Definitely, yeah, yeah. It was great speaking with him. I uh, I interned with the Flying Squirrels a few years ago. Oh. It's about seven years ago now, and then I interned with the, the Green Jackets, which is the uh, single-A team for the Giants. So it was interesting talking yeah. with him, being able to... He was speaking of players that I had gotten to kind of know just from being in Augusta, right. so it was kind of interesting just to hear his uh, his perspective, his in, uh, analysis of things. So it was definitely awesome being able to speak with him and see where, you know, obviously he's just, you know, progressing quickly into the field, which I think is just awesome, obviously, to see, so... Definitely hope the best so for you, him. You actually, you interned for the Fly Squirrels, or did you have a Todd Parnell experience? I did. So I was the uh, I was the game day. So I was I was uh, finishing up college at Longwood University in 2013, which is um, in Farmville, Virginia, a very small school in town. Wouldn't be surprised yeah. if you've never heard of it. But anyway, I was finishing up 
there and I had an internship with the Flying Squirrels that summer. So it was more of a game day internship, but I was, you know, just uh, more of a, I guess more of the simpler things, I guess, like around the, the stadium and things like that. So yeah. I did get this. I get. I did get to meet Todd Parnell um, after games a lot. A lot of some of the staff would would kind of hang out. I got to, it was that was probably among the highlights of that internship was the. I remember Kevin Nash, the wrestler, was there for a game and he was t- t- uh, telling stories after a game. Ryan Vogelsung was doing a rehab appearance with the Giants yeah. and was yeah. there to kind of stay afterwards and hang out. So that was just cool. And then I went to the winter meetings when I was looking for an internship late 2015, early going into the 2016 season. So uh, I saw everybody at the winter meetings in Nashville. Uh, Parney was there. He he came up to us. I wasn't sure if he'd remember me, but he said he did. And yeah, then I was in Augusta that, that upcoming season. And I had more of a media relations, marketing, hands-on role. So I was getting a taste of all those aspects. So it was definitely yeah. an interesting, yep. interesting thing to be a part of and see up close. Obviously, with, uh, with Major League Baseball not happening right now, but I was, I was curious going into the season, uh, what, maybe what your thoughts were on the upcoming season, maybe some of the players or teams that you might have been looking at that could be interesting. Obviously, I know the Astros was a huge story, but in general, kind of curious what your thoughts were for the upcoming, potentially the upcoming. 2020 season. Yeah, I mean, I, I would think that uh, you know the storylines sort of established themselves over the winter. Uh, Gary Cole going to New York and uh, Mookie Betts and David Price being traded to Los Angeles. And the Dodgers reached one of the World Series uh, without success, but I certainly felt going into that, if everybody were healthy, uh, that those two teams uh, were likely going to meet in the World Series. They were they were just that much better than everyone else. They pull off the best team in the American League and moving to the second best team, well, there's a real good chance that uh, the Yankees are going to be the best team. You take you take the Dodgers, who were the best team, and you add uh, probably the second or third best player in baseball with a better pitcher, and they're going to be even better than they were. So there's no doubt going into it, that was the headline. Are we looking you know, at a, at a great Yankees-Dodgers World Series? You know, Dave Roberts get a win to go with the one he earned as a Red Sox stole a base against you know, the Yankees. So will it be Aaron Boone getting the World Series and winning the first title of New York since, since 2009? So that was easily the overarching story. And then there were the other ones, you know, uh, on the Rays ready to, to take take care of the Red Sox and be a formidable team in the playoffs with their pitching. How big a difference is Joe Madden going to make in Anaheim now that he's got Anthony Rendell with Mike Trout? Uh, how he indicated Ross going to manage a clubhouse in which he played there three years ago in the World Series, and he's, you know, he's pretty close and good friends with Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant. So, there, there were a lot of cool things about this upcoming season. You know, New York LA is certainly at, at the top, but there were, there were, there were a lot. Those, those things were great, and, uh, it was kind of, it has been a bump to not see that play out. Now, we end up getting back there and playing games and whatnot. And I'm not, I'm not the purist who thinks we need 150 or 160 games. I, for me, this year is a uh, blank canvas. You can do anything you want with it, as long as there's competition. Uh, I, I'm good with it. Uh, you could, you could change the divisions. You could change the leagues. You could play seven inning games. You could play double headers. You could have a big tournament at the end where every team is in the playoffs, like a 
you know, like a, like a second weekend of the NCAA tournament. You got 30 teams. Or however you want to do it, I'm, I'm all in. And I think it's uh, not, I look at it as an opportunity as opposed to, uh, you know, a, a shortcoming of, of the 2020 baseball season. Whatever. I'm not worried about record books and how many home runs a guy hits. That's secondary. If you can, you can get these guys on a field and you can open up some type of competition and tournament to be off the charts. The popularity of it and whether there are people in person witnessing it or just watching on television, it, it will be, it will be massively popular. Hopefully play, play out the season in some way. I know everybody is looking forward to at least something again, baseball, or like you mentioned earlier with the Korean Baseball League, something to look forward to, something to be able to watch again. Yes. So you kind of alluded to it, I think, before with the Little League World Series, but I was curious, uh, maybe some of the most memorable moments, maybe that, uh, that you span from your, across your career that you've been able to t- either take part in or anything that might stand out to you? Yeah, you know, I think being, uh, I think a couple being on the, being on the field when the Red Sox broke the curse, similar to when the Cubs broke the curse, and hosting baseball tonight at the Centers after those two iconic organizations, you know, ended 100 plus year droughts to win the World Series and to be there to cover it. I was, uh, I was fortunate enough to cover golf back in the, uh, mid 90s from the 2000s, and 2000 was the year that Tiger Woods was just the most dominant golfer on the planet. And was uh, at the British Open at St Andrews when he won that, which I believe at the time had been giving him all four majors. Not at the same time, but it was the, it was the one that he hadn't won yet. I think, or he now had all four. He, he sort of got that grand slam. It was the first one to interview him uh, for ABC, and just remember people running through the berm, which is basically about a six foot. Uh, water that they had to run through to follow him up to the green. It's an incredible sight. People on top of buildings, uh, lining St. Andrews, 18th hole, was just nuts. That was a great event. The home run derby is really cool. You know, whether it's uh, Bryce Harper winning in Washington, which was incredible. Last year, Pete Alonso uh, doing it. And that was that was just incredible. Aaron Judge put a show on in Miami. That's a, that's a hugely popular event and uh, has led to all sorts of great, uh, great highlights and memories. Tony Davis at the Liberty World Series became sort of a national hero. That was a, an amazing just sort of collection of, of fortunate things, her ability, her personality. Literally, meaning we have uh, people who are 10 to 100 that are watching, male, female, uh, white, black, it doesn't matter. They just were all mesmerized by what Monet Davis was doing. And it became such a big national, global story that that was a real cool thing to be a part of. Recently, we've seen the major league players go to the Olympic World Series. And that's been incredible. Just watching them interact with the kids it reminds you that uh, they really are just kids at heart. And they're much more comfortable talking. 12-year-old kids than they are 50-year-old sportscasters. They, they'd rather do that than get a chance to see them in their elements. You know, and on the, sort of the darker side, following the strike in 94, being involved with uh, McGuire, home run, race with Sandy Sosa, Barry Bonds, all those things were, uh, you know, they were really interesting in the way that the public reacted to them. And the subsequent postscripts that have been written about that particular time all really interested to cover it. The list could go on and on and on. It's, uh, 
it's been it's been really a incredible twenty seven years there. So growing up, uh, any favorite specific sport or team maybe that you followed or yeah yeah there's no doubt. I mean I grew up in New England, um, you know, and I was spoiled because we had Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, Danny Ainge, Dennis Johnson, people like Clint Buckner, Jerry Stinger. Those teams, as much as as much as we're all kind of watching right now, the last dance of what you know the Jordan Bolt did, nineteen eighty five, eighty six, when Bird came out of college until the next ten years, we were spoiled in Boston. So the Celtics were my team. I have I have signed memorabilia in my basement from three different athletes, and uh, that's it. Uh, I had a Larry Bird jersey. A Bobby Orr jersey. He was a great uh, defenseman for the Bruins, and a whole bunch of Tiger Woods lifting wraps from mm. uh, that 2000 year. So Bird was Bird is and was my, my guy. That that means representing everything you know that I love. If you ever get a chance to watch some YouTube clips of the Celtics, that they passed the ball like no other team, and it was really really fun to watch. And this bull show, the nasty boys of the Pistons, that was right in my wheelhouse. I, I grew up. Every night watching and getting spoiled by Celtics and Larry Bird. That's, that's my guy. But it didn't, didn't take me to cover the NBA. I just enjoyed the way that they played more than anything else. Yeah, so I've definitely been watching The Last Dance, and I was born in 88, so I was kind of, when I first got into sports in the mid-90s, the Bulls were at, in their heyday. So it's yeah. been great being able to relive and re- rewatch everything. But yeah, just... Seeing the physical, I mean, I knew about the Pistons and, and seeing the old Celtics teams, but being able to see it a little bit more, actually see that like physicality and everything that you were kind of re- alluding to in general, it's, it's something that definitely kind of takes sight of. Oh, so it was just a completely different game. Yeah. For some, you know, in a, in a great, uh, in a great sort of irony, there's, there's people that put up just videos on Twitter. I know I, I don't know if I follow a particular person or there's a reason, but I've seen within the last couple of weeks just some amazing footage of the Celtics and the way they passed. And Bill Walton was on that team for a year or two. Um, you know that it was different. It, it's, it's not old guy saying to your kids like a play them. Like that's how that's how it was. I'm not saying it was even better back then, but it was just very different. And, Definitely, you heard the Pistons say, "Look, well, our our Jordan rules were when he takes off in the paint, we knock him out of that." Yeah, that's what we do yeah. nowadays. Touch somebody mm-hmm. and it's a foul. It's right. very different. And I, I would say that I enjoyed it more when there was that type of intensity. You know, these, these NBA games now, to me, you can check out for three and a half quarters if you want. I'll watch the last half of the fourth quarter, and I think it'll be interesting. But leading up to that. Not so much. Yeah, I agree. I, I personally like college basketball a little bit more than the NBA these days, but um, I totally understand. What, I totally get what you're saying. I, I agree. I liked uh, just even though the '90s Bulls were kind of a little bit before me as far as when I was really able to take take stock of what they were doing and really appreciate it. I always kind of allude or think back to those days, and I just remember just the, even just the highlights. It's just been fun to watch. This is kind of two questions, but. If you weren't in this business, being a broadcaster, uh, what would you be doing otherwise? And any advice for those looking to get into your business? I haven't really given a ton of thoughts of what I would be doing otherwise. I will say this, though, that uh, my favorite job growing up was cutting lawns. Yeah, I think, I think the greatest advice that I could give just on my own experience is to get out and meet as many people as you can. 
um, within this field. This field is one of those where people bounce all over the place. And the more people you know, uh, the, the better chances you will have, providing you have talent and you have drive, uh, you need those connections. That's, that's ultimately what led me to my job in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. It had nothing to do with a job opening in Harrisburg. Um, it actually had to do with the fact that I drove to Rochester, New York, when I was in Binghamton, uh, just to meet news directors. There were no jobs up there either, but I went to Rochester because it was a logical step as far as market size to go from Binghamton, New York, to a place like Rochester, New York. And there was an opening for a sportscaster in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I didn't even know about it. But the news director in Rochester was best friends with the sports director in Harrisburg. And when that guy in Harrisburg called his best friend and said, Hey, we have an opening. Have you uh, seen anybody that we should be looking at or be interested in or a name you can give us? Uh, the guy in Rochester gave Greg Mason Harrisburg my name. And that's what led me to the Harrisburg job, which... Obviously, led me to the ESPN job. But again, it was because I met somebody, uh, even when there was no job, I just kind of got out there, said hello, showed up my tape, and that was the end of that. Uh, led to a job completely in a different place. Um, so that would really be my advice, and because it worked for me. So I would hope that it might work for someone else. But networking in this field is an enormous thing. Yeah, definitely. It makes a lot of sense. From your perspective, you mentioned like Aaron Boone, David Ross, Alex Cora, uh, guys that were in TV, but also obviously managing in the game itself. You get to know a guy kind of off the field, or I guess get to know their personality, and then you might have a better feel for how they might be as a manager. Guys that you've been able to work with, but then they go back into the game itself, or they come out of the game and they go into TV. Yeah, I think the question that people ask me about something like that way is... Uh is, you know, you, you, you have a relationship with these guys, mm -hmm. and then they go and you have to sort of objectively cover them. Mm -hmm. How do you balance that? And then, you know, I, I think there's a, I, I think John Crump, you know, a lot of athletes uh, have, a, have a difficult time separating themselves from when they were athletes. So they really don't tell you what you, what you as a TV host or what you as a viewer want to hear. They're very protective of, of the former player because they were once a player. And the, the great analysts are the ones who don't seem to have a great fear for whatever the player uh, or team or organization or owner or general manager. And they don't seem to have a great concern about what that person uh, would think uh, of what they what they have said. And Crump was great at it. And he played for the Phillies. He didn't really like the media when he played back in the early 90s. Uh, but, but was very open, very honest, he's a West Virginia guy, he doesn't particularly care about what anyone thinks about what he's saying, so as an analyst, you know, when a player should have made a play, he's quickly going to say, that guy should have made the play. Now, he didn't hustle on that play. Yeah. That wasn't a very inspired at bat. And the players, I think, for the most part, have, have a greater respect for you when you're honest as opposed to when you're kind of BS around it, yeah. sugarcoat something. I think they they realize, like, I don't have to worry about that guy. He doesn't really say what the truth was. Like, I should have had that ball. When when you can call somebody out that way, I think they have more respect for you. So my objectivity, I don't know, I'm able to put blinders on. Um, you know, Alex Cora was involved in the Astros cheating scandal. Mm -hmm. 
because I like him as a person doesn't mean I have to respect that decision. Right. Uh, and I'm not going to hide from my opinion that, you know, you cheated. You hurt other people. That was lousy. That was terrible. You've now gotten your punishment. You serve it. You come back. I'm not going to judge you as he's a bad guy because he did that. I hope you learn from the mistake and won't do it again. Um, David Ross, like I said, you know, to anybody that will listen, if I have the choice of Joe Madden or David Ross is down here, I love David Ross. I'm mm-hmm. taking Joe Madden a hundred times out of a hundred. Right. I've never seen David Ross do that. Mm-hmm. That's not a slight. That's not a, I don't like you. I'm mm-hmm. just telling you, I think Madden's great. You prove to be great at it. We can have this competition three or four years from now. Right. The balance is you have a relationship. I think you need to be honest. I think they respect you for your honesty. Um, and I think they're quick guarded. Even though we have a relationship, you're not, not going to get a whole, whole heck of a lot of real inside information because that would compromise their relationship with whoever they're divulging some secret about. Mm-hmm. Because some Aaron Burr's friend, if he knows Aaron Judge is hurt, he's not going to say, hey, yeah. he's hurt. Uh, he's not going to share that with me. He's going to protect that relationship too. So it's, it's, it's a balancing act, but it starts with the trust with each other, and I think that's all part of being a good analyst, a good uh, host, a good play-by-play guy, you know, a good teammate. You've got to be able to know that you have their back, they have your back, because you're on the same team. When you're not on the same team, I don't necessarily, I'm not going to protect you, we're, we're going to be objective about this, which is what you respected about me when you were I hope you respect it when you're not. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. I, mean, I think that's a, that's a fair, that's a good question. That is a question you get asked all. Yeah, I like I like your answer. How are you going to deal with Anthony Rizzo if he doesn't hustle out something? Right. Well, Anthony always does. Okay, but let's just say he comes to the ballpark and he just you can tell he's not really into it. How are you going to deal with that? He's your buddy. Yeah, that's a fair question. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like you said, I mean, maybe Rizzo always hustles, but what if Baez one time doesn't? Right. Or, yeah, definitely. You want a World Series with all those guys. <laughs> right. Are you going to be able to, you know, to, to uh, kick their ass a little bit? And look, he may be able to do that. If he's the same way I am, don't have no problem doing it. You don't worry about the personal relationship when you're the manager and he's the player. You worry about winning. Five, ten, fifteen, twenty years from now, you want to have a deal with him, you'll still have a personal relationship. I had the same thought with the whole Madden uh, Ross dynamic, and I guess towards the end it was like, well, maybe it is time for a change. But I still really, a lot of Cubs fans, believe it or not, are sort of split on Madden uh, as far as oh, maybe he's the reason we did this, or we should have done more, blah blah blah. You know, it's I was always a Madden supporter fan, so I thought, you know, I like what he did. I get some of the scrutiny that he had to face, but I mean that every manager has to go through that same adversity or that same scrutiny as well. Yeah, he'll be great. He is great. I think that I think the players when things look on their way, uh, so you know what, we're just not listening anymore. I think that I think that became the case. He yeah. kind of lost the clubhouse to some degree. The message just wasn't yeah. received the same way, and it is time for change. But he. He's great. Agreed. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of talk with me, and it's great talking My with pleasure. you. Good talk with you.